0: This episode is brought to you by CarMax. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality so you can be sure. With upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. CarMax. The way car buying should be. Start shopping now at CarMax.com.
1: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 71 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast. I bring you in-depth big-name interviews every Monday, just like this one, and short four- or five-minute daily episodes released Tuesday through Sunday, looking back on an event on that day in rock history. It's a show I call This Day Rocks, and it features big-name interviews and contributions from journalists, podcasters, and fans, too. Make sure to hit subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod to make sure you don't miss any further episodes. Right, on to today's guest then. Well, he was called a guitar god by founder of Mr Big, Paul Gilbert, while Metallica's Kirk Hammett cited him as one of his favourite guitarists of all time. High praise indeed. Born in Toronto, Canada, he quickly realised that music was for him after seeing Jimi Hendrix live as a 12-year-old and the guitar beckoned. As you'll hear in this interview, he then headed to the UK to kick his career into gear, a career that's lasted almost half a century and still going strong. He's one of the hardest touring rockers and has recently released a brand new album too. Now his band have included some great names like Tommy Aldridge and Nico McBrain of Iron Maiden, Carmine Peace, Pat Thrall, Clive Edwards of UFO, Sandy Gennaro and many others too. So I'm looking forward to you hearing my chat with Pat Travers. Now we go into those early days when he moved to London to find fame. It was tough and the musical landscape shifted dramatically not long afterwards too. We talk about the real breakthrough radio hit which came out of the blue, the fun story behind one of his great tracks and much more as well. So please do enjoy my chat with the great Pat Travers. So the uh, the brand new album then, Pat, the Art of Time Travel. It's out now. It's a a real return to the big, beefy, muscular guitar sound of the late seventies, and it opens with the title track. It just kind of it grabs you straight away. It kicks you in the nuts. It slaps you in the face, and it, it lets you know exactly what you're in for right from the off, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, um, that was one of the very first songs that I wrote for the project, and I think it kind of you know gave me a. A direction lyrically to go through the rest of the songs I wrote, and uh, yeah, it's powerful. We love playing it live; it goes down great. And of course, my wife Monica did the backing vocals on that; and they sound awesome. So, yeah, we're really pleased with yeah, that. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. In terms of the sound, then the fact that it is big, uh, in-your-face guitar with energy and power—is that is that what you, you were aiming for for this record?
2: Oh, absolutely. We used to have a phrase back when everything was vinyl, it jumps out <laughs> of the grooves, you know? And uh, that's what I tried to do. It's not easy sometimes to get it to do that. You kind of just have to. Uh, well, I got such a great band and we just had a lot of time because we started the album at the beginning of the pandemic and we had just lost every show we had for over a yeah. year. So, I just decided I was going to focus and make the very best album I could, you know, in every way. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned lockdown there and the COVID and the pandemic, and there's the song on there, Breaking Up in Lockdown. It's yeah. a fascinating idea for a song, uh, lockdown-inspired, <laughs> obviously. What made you write something like that?
2: Um, you know, it was in the news, couples or people that were shut in you know, figured out they didn't really like each other all that much. <laughs> totally unlike my own home, where I, I was fine not to have to go anywhere. I love hanging out with my missus, and that's cool with me. But I, it's it kind of fascinating me to be, be in that position where you're just stuck with somebody, and there's, like, this tension, and there's nowhere to go, you know, so... I tried to resolve it, though, Yeah. at the end. Yeah.
1: You know. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's a, it's a great track, absolutely. Another great track on there Thank is uh, Ronnie, which was uh, a tribute written for your good friend, Ronnie Montrose, obviously. Now, talk to me about the track. Talk yeah. to me about your friendship with him. Talk to me about where did you meet him, that kind of thing.
2: Uh, I, you yeah. know, of course, the Montrose album came out, I guess, in the early 70s. And it was it was kind of like uh uh the Bay Area's answer to Led Zeppelin yep. in a way, you know. So that was cool. And but I did I saw Ronnie for the first time, he was playing guitar for Edgar Winter, and this was in Ottawa, I was about 17, and he just was so badass, he just had this confident aggressive stance and his eyes were just, you know, intense and and uh, when it was solo time, he just charged forward, and got right in. So that that really inspired me. And, and I, I kept a lot of that uh, throughout my life and even still today, you know. We did a show, uh, not with Montrose, but with uh, Gamma. That was it, Gamma. He had Steve Smith on drums, and but they had to go on before us on that show. And apparently, Ronnie was like, "Who the f is this guy? You know, I never heard of this poem. <laughs> So there was there was a little tension, but it, you know it was okay. And then some years later, he was playing here in Orlando, where I live. And uh, so I went out in the afternoon to see if I could meet him at soundcheck. And he was sitting in uh, the back of a U-Haul truck with a beer. And I went, hey, Ronnie, I'm Pat Travers. And he went, hey. And we just, it was just immediate friendship. And, you know, we had the same sense of humor. So I'd see him from time to time. We'd be on the same bill and occasionally I'd get up and do Bad Motor Scooter with him, you know, and that was always fun. But we talked on the phone a lot and, uh, you know, he was a good friend. Ronnie had a lot of great friends. He just didn't have a friend around when he really needed one, you know. But anyway, uh, I was it was at the beginning of writing the songs. It was about two o'clock in the morning and. I was getting ready to go to bed, but I had my XM serious favorites thing up on my laptop and I just happened to spot live Ronnie Montrose or live Montrose, rock candy. And uh, it was so good. And I just right then and there, I went, you know, I'm going to write a tribute to my buddy here. And I came up with that song uh, within the next like half an hour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just I I remember I was out there and I uh, I had to have my phone because I wanted to remember it. So I just put it in video and threw the phone down and played on my guitar, which wasn't even plugged in, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but yeah, that song came out really good. And uh, uh, once again, I think the backing vocals on that really give it some emotion, you know.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Lovely stories. Lovely stories. Now, something I like to ask everybody, put you on the spot. What's, what's your favorite song on the album then? Wow.
2: Um, yeah, I like them all. Uh, we <laughs> really tried not to have any weak tunes so that every tune yeah. would be strong. I think, uh, over and over is great. Move on is tons of fun. Uh, no worries. Uh, yeah, all of them, Art of Time, Travel, Ronnie, they're all real good. And uh, yeah, well, I, I would love to be able to play all those tunes live and <laughs> maybe we will here in a year or so, yeah.
1: Fantastic. I'm glad that you mentioned over and over, for, for me, the last couple of minutes of that song is just it's oh, one yeah. of the highlights of the album for yeah. me. Your guitar work on that is just terrific.
2: Yeah, it gets a crescendo there. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that's, and it's big. Yeah, musically, there's some transitions that just really go off the chart.
1: Yes, indeed. It's fantastic. Now, in terms of the album itself, I'm, I'm guessing we can stream it in the usual places, but if you want to get hold of a, a physical copy, I don't know, a, a nice vinyl piece or a CD or something like that, what's the best way of getting hold of that, Pat?
2: Uh, either Amazon or you can get it from Cleopatra. I imagine you can get it anywhere that they sell, cds and vinyl and and, uh, the vinyl is great because it's it's a gatefold and all the lyrics and are are in there and the production credits and uh, all that stuff so if you actually get a chance to play the vinyl you can sit there like we used to listen read along you know divine all the production credits Yeah
1: brilliant stuff brilliant stuff now we're talking about the art of time travel um, we're going to do that slightly ourselves now and go back to the mid 70s because the kind of the start of your career you came to to the UK didn't you you had parents yeah. on this side of the pond um yeah so so tell us about that then you, you're moving over to to London and, and things like that what brought you here
2: well you know I started playing professionally when I was very young 14 yeah. 15. And uh, once, and I, as soon as I turned 16, I, I left school. So I was all in on, you know, playing music and that was going to be my life. But in Canada at the time, there really was not much encouragement to play original music. They wanted you to be the human jukebox and you were judged by how, close she sounded to carlos santana or eric clapton and i just went I, you know i never sat down and learned solos note for note i just tried to absorb the style and then do my own thing so after about 5 years i was just turned 21 and uh, or about to turn 21 And I just thought, I I don't want to do this anymore. I I need to go somewhere where, you know, they appreciate original music more than people doing the hits. And that's definitely the UK. (laughs) It's so hard to play in the UK as a, you know, a full-time musician. Really, the only way you're going to make it is to create your own music. So... I think that's one of the reasons why the UK, they had no radio, they still don't have any freaking radio, you know. <laughs> and uh, they had one rock and roll show on Sundays with, uh, what was his name? Uh, hello, music lovers. Uh,
1: John Peel, yeah. Was John Peel, yeah. sorry.
2: And that was about it on BBC. Yep. Now they had, I guess, Capital Radio in London, but that was, you know. It was a kind of story. a joke, yeah. pop thing. Yep. So, yeah, bands had to work really hard and be very committed because there wasn't going to be any money, you know. So money was not the motivating factor. It was always, we got to come up with something original and cool and build up a fan base, you know. So I always thought that that was a reason why music from the UK has just always been outstanding.
1: you know. Fantastic stuff. Now you talk about original and, and new, and you came over, as we said, kind of mid-70s, was it 76 or something like that? Yeah. and, I, and I, You kind of hit just around the punk kind of feel. <laughs> what, what did you make of the UK at that time then?
2: Uh, yeah, I came in May of 75 and you know, farted around for the first three or four months trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> and uh, I made a demo. Yeah. And then I had no management, no nothing. I just would get the phone numbers of the record companies and the A&R guys and get them on the phone <laughs> and say, me. hey, I'm here. <laughs> I got a tape I want you to hear. And they go, oh, well, just submit it. And I went, no, nah, I don't want to do that, you know. So I got rejected a lot, but that's okay. I went to about six different record companies and then finally uh, uh, Polygram or Phonogram at the time gave me a little record deal. But uh, once I got management, we shifted to Polydor, which was a much bigger, and better label. And for me, it was thrilling because... Hendrix had been on that label. The Who, uh, so many great artists, you know. So that worked out really good for me, and I'm sure you know, Sensational Alex Harvey Band, and that was our first big tour when our first album came out, and that was great because we played all the theaters, and the Apollo, and uh, everywhere, all over the UK and we had a great crowd, and, and Alex and all the guys in the band were just wonderful, and I learned so much uh, kind of stage craft and thing from those guys, you know? So that was wonderful, but then shortly after, the whole kind of punk thing happened, and I, I just found it to be <laughs> – you know, it, it, it wasn't very good quality <laughs> and sure. I get the energy and stuff, but take a little time to learn how to play freaking guitar, you know? <laughs> and, uh, like I go see, uh, uh, Joe Strummer and the one Oh, one. And they're just doing old rock and roll. You know, this was before the clash. And, uh, I remember seeing them at the Nashville rooms and just going, well, this is the same crap I played in Canada. You know, because that's what we would do. But uh, And it was difficult. Uh, All of the NME melody maker music, all that stuff, they didn't want to know about long hair rock anymore. And it was all punk and all, you know, all these new journalists who were punks and so it was frustrating in a way, but fortunately for us in the US, we were selling records as imports in like Texas and Chicago and the Bay Area, Boston, Florida. So the record company in the United States wasn't happy about that. So they ended up, the managing director, Polydor, Freddie Hine, crazy Dutch guy. He got promoted <laughs> to uh, Phonogram USA. So he took us there and we signed a new deal and it was a much better deal. And then you know, I moved to the U S at that point, point, 78, you know, because we were just kind of banging our heads against the wall in the UK. It was, I mean, uh, it's kind of home for me. You know, I lived there for a while and of course my parents were, uh, my mom was English, my dad was Irish, and so I had, you know, that whole cultural thing, but I uh, had to move on.
1: Had to move on, indeed. And and the next thing for us to move on to is, is the live album, which kind of blew you up absolutely huge. It made you massive, didn't it? Go for what you know. I mean... um I heard you say a story about how this was recorded, obviously on tour, but it was almost released as as a placeholder, wasn't it? It was to buy you a bit of time to go into the studio to record another album or write something new, wasn't it?
2: That was it, exactly. We had been touring for probably five months, and Mm. I needed a break because we'd done four albums in two or three years, and I wanted to have some time to work on the new material. So we had uh, part of the agreement was a live album. So we recorded the last four or five songs on uh, mostly in Florida. And uh, we just took one show, the Gainesville, Florida show. And but Boom Boom came from Orlando. But this was before I even lived here. That was just a (laughs) fluke. And uh, so uh, Tom Allen, uh, who produced Sabbath and Judas Priest, and he worked on that with me. But I pretty much just let him do his thing because okay. the last thing I wanted to hear was the same music I've yes. been playing for five months. So <laughs> we were—I was living in Coconut Grove in South Florida, and Bayshore Studios was just down the street. So we mixed there. And I spent most of my time up on the roof sipping champagne.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Honestly. Here's me in the Highlands of Scotland, and you're talking about Coconut Grove of Florida. I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was a long time ago. <laughs>
1: uh, but
2: uh, so, yeah, I mean, I started to just work on new material. And then all of a sudden they said, hey, you got a big radio hit with boom, boom, out go the lights you need to tour i <laughs> got ah shit so here we are back out on the road but it kind of worked out i liked it because it meant i wasn't working on the whole album all at once i was mm-hmm. just working on two or three songs at a time and that's pretty much what i got to do on uh, the art of time travel where yes. it wasn't the whole you know you're not looking at 10 songs and just two or three, making them good, then moving on, you know. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Ensuring the qualities there, definitely. Yeah. Um, and one more, one more song, if you don't mind uh, talking about it. We like to hear the stories behind the big songs here on Vintage Rock Pod. And snorting whiskey, drinking cocaine, <laughs> it's a fantastic line. It's a great lyric. And it was inspired <laughs> by, was it Pat Thrall running late yeah. or something like that?
2: Exactly. Uh, when we were rehearsing for that album, Crash and Burn, uh, we, we had a rehearsal studio in North Miami and uh, it, it was two o'clock was, you know, uh, meet me at two. So, but I wasn't upset if somebody wasn't there right at two, because I had, I had my four track tape machine and I was yeah. making demos, busy, busy there. <laughs> so Pat Thrall wasn't there at three. And he wasn't there at four. And now I'm starting to get a little, you know, pre cell phone. There's no, I have no idea where he is or what he's doing. Around five o'clock, the big studio door gets kicked open. And here comes PT with his girlfriend. And they're just like a, a little legless, you know. And I went, PT, what have you been doing? And he went, snorting whiskey and drinking cocaine. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I already had that guitar riff. I'd okay. sort of been working on it. And I just put the two together in about 11 minutes. I had that song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that just goes to show you the stuff that you put all your effort into for two or three weeks. Everybody goes, yeah, that's okay. But something that just, you know, yeah. fell in your lap. Yeah. yeah. And they go, oh, that's great. And you go, damn, how can I do that again? (laughs) 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 I think the thing is, and that's experience too, is you have to be receptive to something,
1: you know, and use it. So
2: I guess that's how that works.
1: Indeed, indeed. And um, if you don't mind, just uh, one more question about um, a tour that you did with Rainbow. I mean, it was a pretty big tour, and Rainbow, obviously, huge, Richie Blackmore and everything like that, Joe Lynn and things, and Roger Glover and everyone else. I mean, what do you remember of that tour with those guys?
2: Well, Richie, of course, is just amazing. I mean, do yourself a favor and go back (laughs) on YouTube and and look for some of those shows they did in the early 70s. Yeah. He's just... I saw him live in Montreal in 1972. And wow, did he impress me. He was just so cool and kind of aloof, but not really. And every time he use the whammy bar the guitar would go out of tune so he just threw it up over his head and there was a catcher who caught it and then another guy who ran over and put a new guitar on and it happened in a split second i was like that's freaking awesome he just whip. here comes the catcher and here comes the other guy and uh, we got along great i mean he could be difficult but there you go. For the most part, we got along great and, and had maybe a slightly different uh, relationship because, I, I don't know, he was super cool with me. And, uh, and Roger, Roger Glover, I, I just love to death, you know. Yeah. We just did a cruise uh, earlier in the year oh, with yes. Purple. And yeah. uh, unfortunately... They got COVID as soon as they got on the boats. They only did one ship. Yeah, so, but yeah, I love those guys, uh, Purple. And and then, of course, uh, all the guys in Rainbow were a ton of fun. It was a cool tour. You know?
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time, Pat. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And again, I urge everyone to get out there and get a hold of The Art of Time Travel, your brand new album.
2: Okay, we got to do this again. Okay, I really enjoyed chatting with you. and. Boy, I really hope that we can do some kind of touring in the UK. I yes, that'd be that. fantastic.
1: Yeah. yeah, definitely. All
2: yeah. right, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: The wonderful Pat Travers there. Check out the new album, The Art of Time Travel. It's a fun album, especially if you like nice, big, rocking blues riffs like I do. Right then, on to this week's top fives, and it's of course going to be the Pat Travers band. Last week's top five Jefferson Starship songs list was roundly agreed on, which makes a change. Joe Kay's top five was pretty much the same as mine, except for he included Winds of Change rather than St. Charles, as I had done. Uh, while Nicholas Boyack said Miracles was his number one, which was a view which was also shared by Tracy Morton. Well, let's see how we get on with the Pat Travers material then. So this is the top five Pat Travers songs according... Of vintage rock pod. At five is a song that introduced us to those big, beefy rock licks that he specializes in. It's the opening track on his debut album, Pat Travers, from 1976. And number five is Stop and Smile. Number four is the track that catapulted him into the spotlight, The Surprising Hit, a Stan Lewis cover. It originally also appeared on his debut album, but the version that's best known is the one from his killer live album, Go For What You Know. And number four is the big fun energy of Boom Boom, I'll Go The Lights. If I get rid of my sight. At three is a song written about his time coming to the UK. It's a blistering track with some searing guitar work, and it appears on his third album, 1977,'s Putting It Straight. At number three is Life in London. And number two is a song with a killer guitar solo outro. Its chorus is a great hook, and as you'd expect, displays his tremendous guitar work from his second studio album. The title track, in fact. And number two is making magic. She's making- And at number one is a badass song and one of his signature tunes. Its dirty, bluesy sound, fantastic guitars, gutsy lyrics and vocals make it an all-round classic. From the 1980 album Crash and Burn, the number one Pat Travers song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is not in Whiskey. I'm a fast-moving I can show you around There you go, my top five songs from Pat Travers. Remember, it's my personal choice, highly subjective. I don't expect it to be the definitive list, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it nonetheless. Email me, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, or you can find me on the social media channels. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on all the usual sites, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that sort of thing, and you'll find me on there. Come say hello, let me know your selections, and you too will get a mention on next week's show. Well, not you too, the band, but you... You know what I mean. Anyway, that's it for this week's big interview programme then. I've got a brilliant guest lined up for next week's. I can safely assure you of that, so don't miss it. And don't miss the daily This Day Rocks episodes as well. They're really short, just kind of five minutes maximum. Really, really nice and compact so you can fit them into your daily routine. Whether it's listening to them over your morning coffee, your commute, whether you're brushing your teeth at night and you fancy listening to some classic rock content, you can fit This Day Rocks in anywhere you go. Please do give them all a listen. Well, a big thanks again for tuning in to this show. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care.
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.